It's the afternoon cruise on Jazz 88, and I'm with Vijay Iyer, and I'm very honored to have him here. He's coming to town to play the Dakota on Thursday night, and he also has a new album out on ECM from earlier and this year called Uneasy. And I'm so glad that you're coming back to town and glad you're taking time to be with Jazz 88. So thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Now, this new album, Uneasy, is one of the first in a while where you're working in a piano trio setting, and it's an incredibly exciting record, and the entire unit sounds really inspired. What prompted you to go back to a piano trio? You seem to be a relatively experimental, prone musician who brings in a lot of different settings. What had you go back to that piano trio setting? Well, to be honest, the, the trio setting has always been active for me for most of my adult life. <laughs> and, um, and so even when different albums come out that present different facets of what I do, the trio is always kind of like um, my go-to format. And it's um, the most fluid, the most exciting, the most alive and... I love the interdependence and the focus on rhythm and on texture. And I'm fortunate to get to play with some of the best in the world. So, so yeah, when we made this album, which was actually recorded way back before the pandemic, um, it was basically inspired by just the feeling of playing with these two musicians, Taishan Sori, who I've actually worked with for more than 20 years and is on a bunch of, we're on a bunch of projects together um, and we've done all kinds of stuff all over the world together. Uh, and Linda Mahan Oh, the bassist who I've been working with for more than a decade now and is also one of the best in the business. Uh, both of them have incredible ears and incredible um, uh, flexibility and incredible virtuosity on their instruments. And they're also both composers. So when we play together, there's a sort of collective sensibility about how to shape the music. So that's the band that um, became the... Uh, the band for uneasy. Uh, it was kind of just because we got to play together a few times in 2019. And then I was like, Hey, you guys want to just make a record? We <laughs> obviously have a certain rapport here. Well, so, it, it, it certainly yeah. sounds like you guys have an incredible rapport and it, I'm not surprised to hear that both of them are composers because it seems like there isn't a lot of kind of you play this lick and I play a complimentary lick. It, it, it seems like there's a, a little more of a deeper fellow composer intimacy in how y'all relate. Now, is that the group you're going to be bringing to Minneapolis on Thursday? Or are you traveling alone or with other musicians? I'll be with two other musicians who are also among the best in the business. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, both of them are very busy doing their own thing, uh, both Tyshawn and Linda. Uh, we get to play together pretty often. In fact, we just played last week. But um, but yeah, this time I'm coming with a drummer I've worked with for several years now, Jeremy Dutton, a young phenomenon originally from Houston. And he's been tearing it up in New York for the last almost 10 years. Um, then he's been working with a lot of the greats like Joel Ross and James Francis. Um and then the bassist is Matthew Brewer, who 
is definitely one of my favorites and I've worked with him for many, many years. Um, so I'm lucky to have a deep pool of people I can trust who are always um, gonna bring my, my music to the next level and bring the trio format to the next level. I'm glad you brought up the trio format. For those of you just tuning in, it is the afternoon cruise on Jazz 88, and we're connecting with Vijay Iyer, who is uh, coming to town on Thursday night playing over the Dakota. And in preparation for this, I listened to a podcast that you did with your record label, ECM, and you talked about some of the piano trios that you um, have been inspired by throughout your life. And some of them, none of them came as a surprise because I know you're a, a student of jazz and also at this point, also a instructor of jazz and of music in general. For me, there's some kind of dividing line between um, elements that are a little more concise of artists like Ahmad Jamal or uh, Red Garland, who were both mentioned in your podcast, where I think mm -hmm. of them as kind of taking an idea, expanding it to a certain point and having kind of something finite about it. And then I think of, you know, and this is an oversimplification, but I think of some larger sounding piano players to me, like McCoy Tyner or like Keith Jarrett. And um, to tell you the truth, if you said, oh, I'm super into McCoy Tyner or um, Keith Jarrett, that would make more sense to me. Mm -hmm. And 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 then hearing that you're influenced by Red Garland and Ahmad Jamal, it, mm -hmm. it, it, I wasn't like, oh, what a head scratcher. I can't believe he likes these artists. Mm -hmm. But I was curious what you take from them and how it might come out in an album like Uneasy. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, I certainly am very, very influenced by McCoy Tyner. And I listened a lot to Keith Jarrett when I was a teenager, mm. um, which is now like ancient history. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, McCoy has been a mainstay for me for as long as I can remember. In fact, he may have been one of the first jazz musicians I saw live when I was like 15 or something. Uh, but yes, in terms of my connection to Ama Jamal, particularly with him, I'd say it's the trio concept. It's the fluidity of the, of the ensemble, the interactivity, the um, aliveness, the sense that form can shift, you know, that, you know, he'll do things like loop the bridge, like just spontaneously, you know, of a tune. And then suddenly it has a very different shape. So he uses these existing forms as vehicles that he really deeply transforms, you know. The other thing about Amadjit that I really studied, um, well, it's like you said, I think the phrasing idea the phrasing approach which miles davis famously cited as a kind of um important point of reference for him that sort of sense that is a not a dialogue with silence so much as it's a dialogue with the other musicians you know so a solo is not a solo really ever it's always like it's a give and take with those who are in it with you um yeah, so that has always been a, I mean, I don't know, since I was in my 20s, it's been a major, he's, his music has been a major influence, and particularly his trio music. Uh, you know, the Light of the Pershing stuff in that whole era in particular. Um, and especially then because he could drop in these really florid runs, you know, like he could, um, 
uh, he could kind of dazzle you for just a split second. You know, he'll just like kind of drop in some extreme virtuosity and then he'll step back again and let it land, you know, and let, let the ensemble kind of respond. And, uh, and yeah, and, and certainly like his relationship to pulse was also a real point of reference for me, his way of playing with the beat. Um, the groove was so strong and the touch was so impeccable and so expressive. And so he could play with being behind the beat or being all over the beat sometimes, but then he would always be, the, the groove was just so deep with him, you know. Uh, I imagine Red, when you, yes. oh, go ahead, excuse me, go ahead. I was going to shift gears to Red Garland, but uh, go ahead if you. Shift away, let's do a little Red Garland talk. <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't remember what I said in that interview about him. It was really that um, when, so I took like, three piano lessons <laughs> when I was in high school with this local jazz pianist. That's like all the training I really ever had on piano. But, um, and he really just, when I was growing up in Rochester, New York, he really just showed me some basics about voicings and how to read a lead sheet and um, how to build lines and things. Um, and he, loaned me a bunch of records so that one of the first ones he loaned me was this album called bright and breezy by the red garland trio uh must be from late 50s um with sam jones and charlie person <laughs> and that was like i remember feeling so you know the title is actually very accurate bright and breezy like the the quality of like lift in his playing you know it's like um it's a very particular way of comping um a function of the le the way the left hand functions on the upbeats mostly and uh the sort of just the lightness in, in the right hand and the sort of dancing quality that I always had that was always really um that stayed in my ear ever since then you know as a kind of I don't know if I ever sound like that. I probably don't, but <laughs> like, it just is a, it's like, oh, someday maybe I'll have the confidence to play like that, you know? Well, I mean, to be honest on the record, you don't sound short of confidence. And so maybe one day <laughs> you'll go to a Red Garland place, but there's a lot of courage on the record and it's, it's really awesome to hear you in this setting. Now, I imagine when you're playing with these world-class musicians, the answer is probably no, but as you were coming up, did you have a harder time letting the music breathe in a trio setting because you're a little more naked than if you're with a quintet or with a larger ensemble? Well, it's funny. If you go back to my first couple of albums, um, Memorophilia from 1995 when I was 23, and uh, um, Architectures, which came out in 98, but we actually recorded in 96, uh, there's a lot of trio music on both of those. And actually, the thing was that since I'm a, basically a self-taught pianist, um, my main points of reference were like Duke Ellington and Thelonious Monk 
and then Ahmed Jamal. And like, especially at that time, I think you might hear more of a connection in my early days. Um, it's because like, I didn't feel like I had a lot to offer in the realm of chops, shall we say. <laughs> uh, I was just, be, I was just, I was doing what they call composer's piano, which was like, um, you know, it has something to do with what you were describing. Um, it's kind of like you're constructing, you know, you're not, right. you're not showing off ever, you know? So I think those were, that was my approach early on. I mean, over the years I've tried to help my technique catch up <laughs> a little bit. And, you know, there's like, there's different pieces on that record that have different um, qualities of like lyricism and so on. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I don't think I'm always completely pedal to the metal or anything like that. <laughs> I think there's, I, there tends to be, I usually, I tend, especially live, to leave it to the others to sort of do the dazzling part. <laughs> well, you, it seems like you got a good, a good uh, bench of folks to do that dazzling. For I'm sure. going to break the, uh, I guess maybe it's third wall, not fourth wall. If it's just an audio thing. When we got started with this interview, I butchered uh, Mr. Our, uh, Mr. Iyer's name, even though I've been a fan and, and I did my homework and I practiced, I really don't want to butcher your name again. So I want to make sure I say this right and, and treat you with the respect you absolutely deserve. Vijay Iyer. That's correct. Okay, you got it. thank you. And again, my sincere apologies about uh, getting yeah. it wrong. Um, Vijay, one of the most recent times I read about you in the press was not actually about your own music, but you were praising one of your students, Samora Pinderhughes, in a big New York Times article that was, you know, prompted me to go find out about Samora's music and dig in. You're now working um, as an, a professor, both in African American studies and in music at Harvard. How is that impacting what you do on the bandstand? How, how has your education work changed what you would do at the Dakota this Thursday night? Uh, aside from just making me tired all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, that's a good question. I've never thought of it that way. Um, I tend to think of it in the reverse because, you know, I decided early on that what I want to be doing when I show up at Harvard to show up as an artist, you know, not as anything else. And so I really like just interact with students, artist to artist, including, you know, students who haven't yet claimed that title for themselves, you know. Um, but yes, I also was able to start this PhD program in the music department called Creative Practice and Critical Inquiry that's uh, the program that Samora is a part of. And um, and that's been a space to just um, help artists create their own path through the institution. Um, often, you know, these are all exceptional people who are doing, who are already well into their career in music. Um, and they all have a research sensibility. So, so I guess I, um, I, I'm inspired by them constantly. So I, I guess I try to take that inspiration with me so that it's more, it's an exchange. Um, and certainly like, you know, we have some people, other people you might know, like the vocalist Somi is in our program. 
Oh, I did not know. I know yes. Somi. We play Somi yes. all the time. I did not know that yeah. uh, Somi yeah. was in the program. Yeah, she's in her second year. And most recently, the pianist Fabian Almazan is in our scene too. So, you know, these are like top-notch musicians <laughs> who are already doing it. Um, so then how do I support them and, and support their journey? And it's very much just like um, a lot of close mentoring, but more like, like I said, an exchange artist to artist. So how does that affect a trio gig <laughs> in Minneapolis? Let me think. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think one of the deep things, especially about working with someone like Sam Samora, who's so um, community minded, you know, and so astute and aware and grounded in activist um, uh, communities, you know, like he, he works with activists, he's been an activist. And um, so part of what's been exciting to witness with him is like how being an artist and being an activist can merge. And so I guess I think about that when I go to a place like Minneapolis, which has been the site of a lot of recent tumult, of course, not, you know, needless to say that, um, you know, what is my role as an artist stepping into that community and what can I do to serve the struggles, the ongoing struggles? So I guess I find myself asking those questions everywhere I go. That's one answer. Um, <laughs> Listen, it's yeah. a good answer. And there's a lot of people who, it, there's a lot of people who don't let their students change them. And I think that they do a real disservice to the, to the craft and the profession of teaching, if that's the case. So if you're letting your students have any impact on how you walk this earth and how you interact with the cities you visit, I think that's all for the good in my personal opinion. Oh yes. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's absolutely right. You're with the afternoon cruise on jazz 88. I'm with Vijay Iyer who's coming to town on Thursday playing over at the Dakota um, I've covered most of what I wanted to ask about. I have one sort of just piano question because I had, I recently interviewed a great piano player who splits his time between Minneapolis and Brooklyn that I wanted to ask you as well. But do you have anything else to add about the show um, or anything coming up for your career in the next couple months and years? Next couple of months and years. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, um, it's it's the pandemic schedule. Like maybe you got a record yes. you did in 2021 that's not coming out till 24. So I want to give you a, a lot of a uh, lot of area. Well, there are a couple of albums in the can. Uh one with the vocalist Aruj Aftab. I'm not sure if you've heard about her. Pakistani and Brooklyn. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yep. So she and I and the bassist Shazad Ismaili have a trio project um, called Love in Exile that's coming out in March on Verve. And she's, she's now signed to Verve, so Verve is very supportive and very excited about it. And that's going to be really, I'm really excited about that album. It's so unique and special. She's like, yeah, she comes from beyond the stars. I don't know what, what her, how she got to be who she is. Um, just such a special quality in her voice that stays with you, you know, and uh, an amazing listener. It broke my um, heart to see her talking on Twitter about 
not being able to break even hitting the road with her expenses. And it reminded me that a lot of folks who get out on the road, it's an uphill battle, especially for young artists. And just for her to not get to share her music, which is clearly popular with the world, bummed me out when I was reading about that on Twitter a couple of months ago. Yeah. I mean, she does tour a lot. You know, she's out there a lot constantly. But yeah, it's not always handled with the sort of like artist health in mind, you know, yes. or the artist's longevity in mind. It's often just like take every gig. You have to be careful what these booking agents about all that, you know, they don't always have your best interest at heart. So I've learned the hard way <laughs> over the years. Um, yes. And then the other thing is we did make another trio album, Tyshawn and Linda and I, that'll oh. be out probably late next year. Um, uh, yes, so I'm excited about that. That'll be out on UCM. And can I, uh, can I hit you with my one piano nerd question for you? Yeah, do it. Okay. Do it. Uh, I was talking with a piano player you might be aware of, named Michael Kane, who's half in Brooklyn. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So um, he's he's a friend of Jazz eighty eight because he's in Minneapolis. He teaches at McPhail, and he came through. I try to bring in instrumentalists on the occasion of big folks birthdays. So it was Bud Powell's birthday in September mm. or birth date, I should say. Right. And he came through um, and, and and we talked a lot and I'm not a piano player. I'm a radio DJ and a bass player, mm. but he was, he said this thing about the piano that I never thought about. He was kind of trying to explain maybe Art Tatum to Bud Powell to beyond and explaining that a lot of people who play today are inspired by Bud Powell, but they might not know it because they got it from other places. Hmm. The the thing that stuck out to me is he said, the piano is, is three things and two hands. It's, it's bass, it's harmony and it's melody, but there's, you're always got to give up one or more because you only have two hands. And, and and it was a very physical, I mean, we're just, we were sitting in a radio studio, but it was a very physical explanation. He's kind of plotting out the piano. And mm. the way he was looking at it, it looked like when you see somebody struggling with their pedal board or somebody struggling with a wood shop, it was like this kind of, this is the struggle. And I never thought of the instrument that way. Mm. Um, and especially as somebody who kind of describes themselves as a composer's pianist, do you see the instrument with some of that stricture? Does that relate to you at all? Um, I think of it as more than three things. <laughs> Hit me. But you do still only have two hands and two feet. The feet also matter. It's one of the only... Piano and drums and organ are the only like four limb instruments that I can think of really. <laughs> but you know, the... The legs don't do a lot, but a lot of pedaling, you know, can get pretty intricate and subtle. So it is like a skill there. It's not all binary. <laughs> uh, but yes, the, uh, well, the thing is that um, the, the core of it is rhythm, you know, it's a percussion instrument. And so that can be expressed in all these different ways, but yeah, you always have to make some kind of choice about where you distribute the energy. Um, I'm blessed to have large hands, so I can kind of um, create these illusions of more than two hands sometimes, just because um, I can reach like an 11th pretty easily. Oh, wow, um, okay. Um, 
So, you know, I've seen like every now and then someone tries to transcribe something I did and they just, they clearly just are in disbelief that that's an 11th. So they'll just fold it in because they don't believe it, what they're hearing, <laughs> you know, but I just do it all the time because it, it kind of gives this like weird open, um, I don't know, just this open sonority that has like, it's not harmony exactly because it's so spread out that it feels more like counterpoint, you know? So I guess I tend to think of, well, I guess I'll put it this way. I think of harmony in two different ways, in two different senses. One is about resonance, which is like vibration, you know, like it's like the how you get the instrument shaking, how you get sympathetic tones resonating and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's the overtone series. It's like, uh, and, you know, like different pianists have, different ways of accessing that but I, I feel like monk was somebody who heard something in the piano that most pianists hadn't heard yet because of the way he would excite it with with a certain kind of force frankly that would then excite these higher harmonics you know so if you listen to him in detail like with that in mind like the way he expresses harmony is not is sort of a balance between overtones and tones <laughs> so like part of why his voicings are so spare is because a lot of it is already implied by the tones that are there you know and so that's where partly where i learned that you could spread things out and still be expressing harmony like harmony doesn't have to live in the middle register as far as i as I experience it. The other piece of harmony is counterpoint, like how voices move across and with and against each other in time, you know? So that's about trajectories. It's not about one resonant tone or one resonant set of tones. It's about how voices interact and move. It's about voice leading, you know, it's about motion. So those, qualities of motion of, of like harmonic motion can be expressed in a lot of different ways you know um you know at some point um i guess it's now been almost 20 years i was noticing that well it was partly through working with certain musicians to ask me to play fewer chords you know like roscoe mitchell was one such person um and he was thinking more in terms of counterpoint, you know? So then, and then I was sort of thinking about like how you could express harmony without chords. And of course, like the tried and true way from the classical piano tradition is arpeggios, right? Like you're not, then like they, they have a transparency, they have rhythm because they move and they articulate harmony, you know? So they're not heavy like chords are. And so then like I started thinking about that more generally as a kind of method for, um, you know, for keeping things moving and expressing harmony without burdening or without getting too heavy, you know? Uh, so I'm not sure I'm, as, I'm re responding perfectly to Mike's observation, but I, I think feel basically like- Basically I threw up a softball and said, 
tell me something cool about piano and you did and and you know like <laughs> <laughs> that's working for me yes yeah uh, and I'm well sure yeah i mean i guess that was the thing is like I, I started with rhythm and it was like how do you actually express rhythm and motion through all those things you know through those different registers and like i find that actually there are a lot of different ways to do it that are um you know i'm always stealing pages from tatum and bud powell and mccoy and monk and duke ellington and alice coltrane and jerry allen <laughs> and so many others andrew hill randy weston sun Ra, cecil taylor uh so many you know um but i also just sort of view that as this history of ideas you know yeah. about how to elicit certain experiences from the instrument how to how to like how to provoke the instrument how to how to um make it breathe make it sing make it laugh you know well it sounds like even if you just took three lessons you've certainly done your homework on the instrument and <laughs> very thankful oh, that you're bringing the show to minneapolis on thursday over the dakota it's a 7 p.m show vijay Iyer uh coming through town and really glad that you took time to chat with jazz 88 and uh, looking forward to catching the show on thursday and i hope you have a great uh, trip to minneapolis Thanks so much. My pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you all there. All right, my friend. I really appreciate you taking the time. I apologize about getting the name wrong at the top of the thing. And all good, all good. tremendous respect for what you do. And thank you for taking this time. Thank you, man. Good to talk to you. And we'll do more. Tell all right. You on. have a beautiful rest of your week. All right. Thank you. You too. Take care.